Good morning. How you doing? We are so glad that you are with us at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you are new or you're checking us out today, man, we're just so honored that you're here. And I just truthfully and sincerely want to say thanks for uh, giving us a try and coming and checking us out. Pray for us. And if you're looking for a church home, then we would be honored if you want to walk with us. Um, we're in kind of a, you're kind of walked in and went, oh, I thought this was a church. This looks like a cafeteria. <laughs> you're not, and this is the thing, tables make me hungry. I get at the table, I go, where's the food, you know? I'm, so we kind of missed that point, I'm sorry. But we're in this series called Rethink Church. Um, and so one of the things that we like to do in this series, and this is the second of three Sundays in this series, is spend time with each other, talking. And so I'm going to do a kind of an abbreviated message, and then after we finish that message, we're going to turn to each other and have a conversation about, it, what, about what it means to be the church. And so uh, anyway, just want to give you a little explanation if you're going, what's the deal with the tables? That's kind of the deal with the tables. We're so glad that you're here this morning. Last week, I'm so thankful for Dee Brown, our chairman of our elders. He did such a great job, didn't he? Do a great job. Give him a hand. And Dee was helping us to try and understand what a paradigm is, right? What is paradigmatic change? That's a big word. But what is, what is a paradigm? Uh, let, me, let me, I'll show you one. So you know, when I first got this, everybody thought it was really super spiritual because it had like my little Bible. But it's not a Bible, it's not a book, it's my phone and my wallet put together. Uh, have you seen the thing on Facebook where these high school kids, the mom says, hey, I'll give you four minutes to dial this phone, to dial this number on a rotary dial phone. Have you seen that? And the guys are like, you know, they, they can't figure it out. I remember my brother and I used to time ourselves for how quickly, you know, because when you do a rotary dial, you, you move the thing and it goes, okay, now number two, you know, it's like this super long process. You had to go to it on the wall. You had to go to a payphone, or whatever the case may be. If you wanted to know what the weather was, you'd have to look in the paper or watch the news. Who watches the news anymore, right? Right now, we can do, I mean, it's endless what we do with these things. We pay for our coffee with these things. We pay our bills. We read the Bible. We take really good pictures with our phones. We manage our bank accounts. We, we operate our calendars with these phones. We watch TV on our phones. We order groceries and movie tickets. There seems to be no end to the paradigm that has changed on our phones, right? See, the thing is, is things are changing. The world has changed. It is continuing to change. And if the church doesn't change, then it dies. And that's what's happening. As I mentioned last week, and I mentioned it several times before because this is a burden on my heart, six to 10,000 churches close their doors every year in America. It's not that we change the message of Jesus. That stays consistent. But we have to change how we communicate that message. We have to change our strategies. And we have to be relevant with what's going on in the world so that we can address what's going on in the world. And we have to uh, cultivate a place of theology. As, as Dee was saying last week, it, this needs to be a place where we can work out what is the theology in our culture what, what does God's word say to what's happening in the world? We've got to change, or it'll change around us and without us. You know, I thought it'd be interesting for us this morning. I want to talk a little bit about kind of life together is the name of the message. I want to talk about community in the church, church relationships. And for me, I thought it would be good if we kind of looked at what is the old paradigm of the church, 
Well, I mean, when I say old paradigm, what, what, what was the church and relationships, what were they like in sort of the old paradigm? And where are we going? What does the church need to look like according to Scripture and according to what God has laid on our hearts or our elders and our leaders, where we need to be as a church, okay? So here's the first one. For me, at least, the old paradigm was that I didn't really want to spend a lot of time with people at church. I mean, when I was a kid, I was like, how long are we going to be here and when can we leave? You know what I'm talking about? It's like I'm just going to, it's obligatory. I, I've got to be here. We're supposed to be here for this amount of time. Then we're going to leave, right? That's kind of the old paradigm. The new paradigm is, no, we have to spend more time with one another. We have to know each other's struggles. We have to know the issues in each other's lives. We have to know the concerns because we're the church. Just as Kim just said, the church is not this building. It's not a location. The church is a people, and that's you. Here's the second thing. When you did connect with people at church, it was often sort of an acquaintance or surface level. You know what I mean? I mean, we might know, maybe, we might know the names of people, and I think he's a doctor, or I think he works for the light company, and I'm pretty sure he lives in Alexander, right? That's like the three, (laughs) I know his name, we connect, I know his name, I kind of know what he does, and I kind of know where he lives, but I really don't know anything about him. That's the old paradigm. The new paradigm is we have to know each other. We have to walk life with one another. We have to walk with each other through ups and downs, questions, doubts, fears, worries. And that won't take place if we just kind of know this little bit, this little surface level of one another. We've got to know each other more. Uh, If you only come to services, which, by the way, is a very small part of what the church is, if you only come to a service, then you're only going to have so much time to connect, and it's going to be a surface level. So for five minutes before the service starts, man, did you see that game? Oh, that was crazy, wasn't it? Or can you believe this weather? We had snow today. And our, and our level of relational depth in the church is like this deep because we don't have time to connect at a soul level and a relational level that does any difference in our lives and makes any difference in our lives. We have to be intentional with each other. We have to find ways and time for accountability to serve one another. Sometimes in the old paradigm of the church, we avoid hard conversations. You notice this? Like, I would never want anyone to know that I'm struggling with depression or an addiction. I would never, ever want anyone to know that I have a problem today, that I've got some issues, or I've got some questions about faith or God or mistakes. Right, well, let's, just, let's just not go there, right? That, that's kind of been the church phrase. Let's just not go there. Hard conversations are too hard. They're too difficult. When really in the new paradigm, in who we need to be, we need to be quick to open up with how life really is. Knowing that your church family loves you, that they will pray for you, and they will help you to a healthy place. Jesus said, I didn't come to, to serve the well or the healthy, right? I've come to bless and help the sick. This is his church, and that's exactly who we need to be. Old Paradigm says, as long as I can come across sort of, sort of happy, sort of sane, and sort of successful, then I can step in the church and go, hey, everybody, all right, how are you, you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? You're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. You come across sort of happy, sort of sane, sort of successful, I passed the test of church. Do we understand how sick that is? 
sometimes we don't. Instead, we just perp- we continue to perpetually make this the reality of church. No, we just walk in and I'll let's act happy and sane and successful and yay, life goes on. When really we're dying inside. And so the church really needs to be a place where you come authentically. Where we can share where your heart is in struggle or doubt or joy or pain. Where your confession is that you have a great need for God. His grace and his mercy. That together we just can own that together. Hey, you know what? I don't have it all put together. Can I just be the first one to, and you know me well enough to know that this is a theme of my life. I don't have it all together. I struggle every day. And God is doing a work in me. And he's doing a work in you. And together, could we just come together and go, Lord, we need you so desperately. We're not a perfect people. In fact, if you're looking for a church, looking for an imperfect church, man, you found one. You know what I'm saying? We are an imperfect place led by imperfect, broken, sinful people, saved by the grace of Jesus. And our only boast and our only hope is in him. Worship seems like in, in the kind of the old paradigm was the kind where maybe if no one will notice, if I can just worship, well, no one will notice, that'll be, that'll be good. I don't want to distract anyone. How many times have we said that? I really don't want to distract anyone. Hey, listen, that can be a good thing from our hearts. To say you don't want to be a distraction can be a good thing. However, it can also be an excuse to go to a very authentic place of worship. Well, I just don't want to distract. I appreciate that. But can I just release you of that? I want you to connect with the living God of the universe. And when we connect with him at times, we're going to worship. There's times when I'm worshiping, I'm not thinking about you. And and I hope I don't ever. I'm thinking about his grace. I'm thinking about his goodness. I'm thinking about his mercy over my life. How I don't deserve his goodness, his his relationship. And yet his kindness has saved me. His goodness, his, his grace is changing me. And so when I worship, I'm thinking, yes, Lord. I'm not worried about, hey, did, is this my hand blocking the screen? Let me just see in a new paradigm, we've got to be more concerned about our worship of the Father, that it comes from our soul to the Father, that our worship is focused on him, not on other people. The old paradigm of the church would say, I want to be friends with people who are like me. How many times have we said that? I just, I I want to connect with like-minded, similar life situations. And the church, the Big C Church has done this in our Sunday school classes, in our small groups, in different ways. Well, they're, they've been married under 10 years. They have two kids. They'll fit. Let's put all the under 10-year married, two-kid people in this group. And they can, and yeah, you see how or why they would do that. But can I just tell you, that's not necessarily the church. You can get that at the PTA or the country club. The church is where we come together and we connect intentionally with people who are not like us. Where we come to the church and we say, yeah, I I don't know that I would be friends naturally (laughs) with any of the people in this group. I don't know that I would go on vacation or hang, go to a movie with any. That's okay. Because we can learn from everyone. They look differently than us. They vote differently than us. They live differently than us. They're a different income level, whatever the case may be. But they are the church. And we have to connect with each other and bless each other regardless 
of where we're from or what we look like or what our preferences may be. This is what Paul calls this mystery in Ephesians 2 and 3. He says in Ephesians 2 that he's, he's made a new man. It's not Gentile, it's not Jew, it's a believer in Jesus where we come together. In the old paradigm, you might give an offering for a certain project. And you might never see anything about that project. You might never connect with anybody who, who benefited from that project and missions or get personally involved apart from a check or a prayer or whatever. Listen, the new paradigm, those things are needed, but the new paradigm, the new church needs to be willing to be inconvenienced. We need to be willing to be inconvenienced, to get our hands dirty in the lives of people and to serve anyone and be a blessing. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 25. And it is a very interesting study how, how important this is to Jesus. He said, when you fed somebody who's hungry, you were feeding me. When you gave somebody a drink who was thirsty, it was me who was thirsty. When you visited someone in prison, that was me. That was me. And until we see people in need, as the Lord Jesus himself, if he walked into your living room, man, you'd put out the silver. Jesus, what do you want? Some fish probably, right? You would set, you would set a table, you know what I'm saying? You would, but then when we see the guy on the side of the street, we just turn the other way. I hope he doesn't make eye contact with me. It's Jesus. I love when people from our food pantry, beautiful people from our community, actually make their way from the pantry on a Monday night, a whole long six days later to a Sunday. I love it. And they walk in and I recognize them and go, oh, hey, I'm so glad you're here. The church is not something you can do alone. We mentioned that last week. Literally, by definition, it cannot be done alone. It's something that has to be done together. I like this quote from Paul Tripp in his book, Wider Than Snow. He says, we weren't called to be independent, autonomous, or self-sufficient. We were made to live in a humble worshipful and loving dependency upon God, listen to this, and in a loving and humble interdependency with others. Our lives were designed to be community projects, yet the foolishness of sin tells us that we have all that we need within ourselves. It's the original sin. So we settle for relationships that never go beneath the casual. We defend ourselves when people around us point to a weakness or a wrong. And we hold our struggles within, not taking advantage of the resources God has given us as the community. The church has to change from being an event. Well, I think they meet at 1030. Let's go to the church. I understand how we've gotten there. The church has got to change from being, well, it's, the church is over there at this place. And my expectation of my involvement in the church should be just mainly to show up once a week. And then I can, I'm, I'm faithful, man. I show up once a week. I want to look on the back of your card this morning. It's going to be actually really easy to fill in. Really easy to fill in this morning if you're following along with these uh, notes. Because it's all the same word. And I hope that that redundancy fills our hearts in there that there's meaning with it. But if you're following along, I want to just make five quick comments here. It's this first one. God exists in community. 
as Father, Son, and Spirit. We talked about this in our root study last week. He exists in relationship, and he invites us into relationship with him in that relationship that already exists. It's beautiful. He invites us into the family. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. He exists in community. Second phrase is this, God created us in his image to live in community. Genesis 2.18, then the Lord said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Even in God's design for who we are and how we live, it's meant to be done together. It's not good for us to be alone. And when you live outside of a church community and you're just a loner, I'm okay, I'm just, I'll just handle this all by myself. You are living outside of the design of how God created you. He created you to live in community. The very definition of the church is a community of faith gathered together. It's the definition of the church, Acts 1.14. This is right after Jesus has been ascended. It says, all these were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all 120. I just love this beautiful picture because this is before the church, before Pentecost, before the church has kind of formed and become this unbelievably beautiful community. This is just people holding on for dear life to each other. Can you imagine? Jesus, he brought us all together. He taught us so much, our rabbi, our friend, our savior, and he's gone, and, and we're just looking around the room now. 120 is pretty close to what we have in the room this morning. They would look around and just go, well, what do we do now? They were created to live in community, to walk life with each other. It's the very definition of the church. We can't accomplish the work God has gifted us for alone. Do you know each one of you has a gifting that God has given you? And pretty soon I want us to do a study on that. And I want us to take a look at, at you individually. What are the gifts that God's given me? What's the, what are the gifts that God has given you? And we can see how he puts those things in place. And I believe we have everything we need as a church with the gifting that is represented just in this one room. God has gifted you uniquely. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is, is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but many. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And, of course, if we know that text very much, it's when he talks about all these different giftings. But he's, he's helping us understand our giftings are not for ourselves. It's for the body to be lived in community. Throughout the New Testament, as the church is forming and the apostles teaching and writing and helping develop what the church is going to become, we are encouraged to live in community all throughout the New Testament. Look at some of these verses with me. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider to stir up one another to love and good works. It's hard to do over a football conversation that takes two minutes before church, by the way. 
Let's stir one another up. That means to kind of aggravate each other, challenge each other. Have you ever had that kind of relationship with a brother or sister? You're like, hey, I want you to think about something. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know. Push them a little bit. Challenge them a little bit. Stir it up. For love and good works, not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Or this challenge from James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That probably won't happen in a football conversation either. You know when it'll happen? When you trust someone. When you've wept with someone. When you've shared your soul and your dreams and your fears with someone. Then you can go, hey, can I be honest with you about something? And they'll go, of course. I'm struggling with this thing in my life. I need you to pray for me. There's no mistake that confession and prayer are connected in this verse. Here's where I'm struggling. Pray for me. That's the church we need to become. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Again, it only happens in trust and deep relationship. Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the brothers. Admonish, I'm sorry, let me uh, say that again. Verse uh, 13, Romans 12, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Again, not a conversation that will happen in a surface relationship. You will not seek uh, to show hospitality or help with someone's needs. You will not rejoice or weep. I've had the chance to do both of those things this week with some of you. And I love it. It's the body of Christ. It's the beauty of relationally walking life together. We weep together. We celebrate together. We struggle together. We are the church. Doesn't matter who, right? Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly, with everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 continues that thought. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. This may be people that are not in, in, in uh, uh, the life design that you are. They're struggling in life. They're struggling with finances. They're struggling with work. Listen. Urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Sometimes we're so impatient. Verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Church, this is who we have to become. This is who the New Testament, and I've just pulled out a few. There are a hundred one another's. <laughs> but it's so important that we get that church is not just listening to some guy speak. Or gathering for an event, but that it is life together. It's life together. I think we take for granted sometimes the beautiful blessing and the opportunity that we have right here for deep, significant relationships. I love this book by this, uh, this writer and martyr. He was martyred in World War II for his stance for Christ just before the days uh, of freedom. I mean, a few days before uh, freedom in a Nazi concentration camp, the order go, it goes out to murder Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says in his wonderful little book, Life Together, 
But if there's so much blessing and joy even in a single encounter of a brother with brother, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who, by God's will, are privileged to live in daily fellowship of life with other Christians? Now, what if I put, changed that and I said, uh, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who, by God's will, are privileged to live just occasionally on Sundays? Right? That's not what he said. Privileged to live in daily fellowship of life with other Christians. Our lives were meant to be lived together. And I pray that we will not be satisfied at a surface level of what we think is the church, this old paradigm. I don't want to dial the rotary anymore. You? No, no, no. Let's move on to real, meaningful depth of relationship with each other. The apostles, they created, they created this beautiful, beautiful picture of the church in Acts 2. In Acts 4, we see them both. We see a real connectedness. Yes, around their teaching, but also around meals, uh, life together in each other's homes. It's just a beautiful picture of what the community ought to look like. At the end of Paul's, some of his missionary journeys, Acts 20, some of these different places, we see Paul kind of notifying the churches and the communities that he's developed. And so they meet him. And it, it's really beautiful when you study this. They meet him and he doesn't go, well, hello, students. How are you? Know, thanks, thanks for just wanting to tell you goodbye. The Bible says they fall on each other and weep. How do they do that in a casual relationship? How do they do that at a surface level? They don't. He loves these people and they love him. And he, as he tells them, I won't see you again. They fall on each other and they weep in multiple places. The Apostle John in 2 John, he has the same sentiment when he says in 2 John, I, I just I don't want to put this in ink. I want to see you face to face. Because he had real relationships with the people he was writing they clearly walked life in a very authentic way with people. These weren't acquaintances. They were deep relationships of the soul. So here I want to close this morning and just remind you, church community is not just, you know, occasional relationships or service relationships. It's not dinner clubs. It's not football dialogue. It's sharing life together, ups and downs, encouraging each other in obedience to God's word. It's serving one another. It's accountability. It's authenticity, and it's more than natural chemistry with the people we like. I can I just tell you this quickly? I, when I learned this, it blew my mind. In fact, I told the pastor, I was working at a church, and he said something about a small group, and I said, uh, we don't have, Lori and I, we don't have kids. He goes, okay. I said, well, yeah, but there's, there's like all kinds of kids in that group. Yeah. I'm coming from the old paradigm. I'm going, we probably need to be in a group with no kids. I don't really want to be in a, you know. He's like, no, no, that's the way we do it. Like, oh, my gosh. Okay, we'll go. We got there. There was nobody like us. There was no one even our age. Different ages, different ethnicities, different jobs, different walks of life. And we walked into what was in some ways uncomfortable. But over the next two or three years, we learned that that was the church, and we learned to love those people with a deep affection. Not because they were like us or because it was easy to do life. Because it wasn't. Paul calls it a mystery. 
I'm challenging you, South City, to enter the mystery of the church. Listen, God has a vision. My vision doesn't matter. God has a vision for his church from the early church, from Pentecost, to be a united and diverse church where people love each other, even if they're not alike. You think it's hard to do church with people that you're not alike. Can you imagine being a a Jew and a Roman with a sword hanging on his side, walks in and wants to worship? He just killed your cousin a month ago, but he's found Jesus and now he's going to worship. We have to enter the mystery. As we did last week and as we will next week, we're going to pause our message for a few moments. And I'm going to encourage you just to take a breath turn around to your tables, and then have some conversation. Real conversation with each other about what it means to be the church. Can we do that? About 15 minutes. Let's do it. All right, we're going to begin to wrap up just a little bit here. Let me ask this question this morning. How how many of you got past question three? Wow, awesome. Good, good. How many of you got past question four? (laughs) Good. You're going too fast. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, How many of you got to question five? Okay, wow. Overachievers. Well, let me, uh, for those of us that didn't make it to, to question five, let me ask it. Okay. Could the church be more effective in its mission if we lived with more confession, with more accountability, more service, more hospitality, more love, more real relational connection the way the Bible teaches us to live? Could, could, could we be more effective? Why do we not do it? We're afraid? What are we afraid of, Lucretia? Judd, yeah, I get that. Afraid of vulnerability, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to have to learn to be inconvenienced. It's uncomfortable. We were talking about personality types. Uh, in, how, many, how many extroverts we got in the room? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tears like, where's the party? All right, introverts in the room. My people. <laughs> and then there's a, several of us that kind of are extroverted introverts or introverted extroverts. I don't know what we are. But hey, listen, I, we're so grateful that you've been with us today. And I, and I hope that you leave here today after we sing this song, after we worship together with another song. My prayer is that you would leave here asking the question over lunch. What is my definition of the church? Just I said it last week, I'll say it again. Do I define it because there's pews or stained glass or the message or surely not tables and questions? What is the church? And are we that thing? 
Are we that entity? Can we become the church of the Bible? I don't have any interest in being the church down the street. I want to be the church of God's word. And I think instead of us moving forward in what we think is cool, we need to go backward in what God has already designed to be the church of the Bible. But in order to be that, we got to change our thinking, you guys. We got to get to a new paradigm, a new way of life as believers in Jesus. Life together is all important. It's all important. Because it's in that life, it's in walking in that community that God will shape us into the image of his son. But listen, some of you, some of us have been wounded by the church. I get that. As I told you last week, my greatest wound in my life was from the church. The big C church. And there is a risk to vulnerability and fear of judgment. What are people going to think? Yet God's word calls us to each other and calls us to a likeness in him no other way but together. So I pray that you will uh, come be a part of what God's doing here. If you're here already, but you're not fully engaged, you're not in a small group, you're not one of our city groups, I want to really highly, strongly challenge you to be in one. I know you might have other relationships in other places. I know you might have people challenging you as a believer in other places. I get that. But there's something unique to being a part of this body relationally with other people. To serve you, to love you, to challenge you, to help you. There's a reason for it. And I want to challenge you to make the initiative, to take the time, to be inconvenienced, to be a part of what God's definition of the church is. Life together. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. I'm so thankful for the church. Even though it has wounded me greatly, even though we get it wrong so often, even though we live out of traditions and preferences sometimes more than your word, would you forgive us? And would you call us, Lord, to what your word says is the body of Christ? Relationship together learning, discipleship. God, we're so thankful for what you're doing in our roots study and what you're doing in our city groups and, and God, how you're changing us to be the church you want us to be. But every person here that's a partner of South City Church matters as we move forward in becoming the church you want us to be. So I pray that we're challenged today to know you and love you and to embrace each other in a way that changes us to move aside the inconvenience, to move aside the, the preferences and the natural chemistry questions, to enter the mystery of what it means to be the body of Christ and to love. Lord, we worship you now. I pray if anybody here, Lord, needs to pray at this altar or needs somebody to talk to, that they'd be willing to come down and do that. But we worship you now, Spirit of the living God. Move here. Move in us and among us and through us to our families, to our communities, to this city, to the world, that you might be glorified in Jesus' precious name.